Welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Tiffany Kazaroski. September is Childhood Cancer and Sickle Cell Awareness Month, and today our guest is Dr. Girish Dahl. He is Division Director of Pediatric Hematology and Oncology at UAB, the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He is also a professor of pediatrics and leads the neuro-oncology program here at Children's. Welcome, Dr. Dahl. Thank you very much for having me. So I have to just let everyone know that we do sound a little bit muffled, and that's because we're masking and we're physically distanced. Just bear with us. Speaking of that and masking, just wanted to bring up a very real situation that we're all in right now with COVID-19. How has that changed things for patients and families within the hematology-oncology world? You know, obviously, these are absolutely unprecedented times. You know, we could have never imagined, you know, how it's going to... Uh, be like or feel like, and uh, and we're still learning. And every day, it's like uh, something new mm-hmm. that we learn or we try to change, and so on. But I think first, uh, I would like to say that we are, uh, as a pediatric um, or even a pediatric oncology community, we are absolutely blessed that um, the COVID has not affected our patients as severely as uh, it has affected some of the adults and uh, some other patients who have other comorbid conditions. You know, all of our patients here that have been diagnosed, at least in our division, they have uh, almost all of them have recovered completely uneventfully. Great. Uh, only one or two patients uh, did have to go to the ICU for some uh, slightly severe symptoms, but mm-hmm. even they have made a complete recovery. Uh, and we're also fortunate that we haven't had any deaths uh, in our patient population. Mm-hmm. And two of our faculty, uh, doctors uh, Wolfson and uh, Johnston, they've actually spearheading a national effort to gather information on patients with pediatric patients with cancer mm-hmm. uh, who've been diagnosed with COVID um, at uh, multiple other children's hospitals in the country. And their experience from that data gathering mm-hmm. has been very similar to ours. So uh, okay. I think it's been... Um, We've been fortunate. Uh, yeah, it's very fortunate. And I would imagine telehealth is part of your world. Absolutely, yeah. And I think so. The uh, On that note, actually, while most hospitals, including Children's Hospital and our hospital, you know, when we went into the intense lockdown phase, um, we canceled all routine surgeries. We canceled almost all routine admissions. And mm-hmm. I've been focusing on mostly emergency admissions. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately, uh, for our division, for cancer patients, uh, cancer doesn't take a break, regardless of what the circumstances are. Right. And then the treatment for cancer just cannot wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did not have the luxury of doing that. So I think we as a division here at Children's of Alabama, we never took a break. We never, you know, slowed it down. All our faculty, our staff, including our receptionists, nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, clinical research staff, they've been working through this. Our patient volumes never dropped down significantly, mm. uh, and they've been on the forefront. And we've also continued to enroll patients on clinical trials because mm-hmm. for a lot of the patients, that might be their only treatment options. So for that, you know, that really speaks volumes about the dedication of everyone mm-hmm. uh, who works in our division. And for that, I'm truly grateful uh, and proud of the team. And I would think, too, patients who are undergoing treatment such as radiation, chemotherapy, they're very vulnerable to any kind of illness anyway. And uh, especially in the fall months when influenza starts, I would imagine they have to take a lot of precautions 
already. Abs- absolutely, they always do. My uh, secret hope is that uh, with, at least from what we've learned from this pandemic, that you know, all the things that we're doing, social distancing, hand washing and masking, I'm hoping that that's going to help us with even influenza. So I think I hope that our season is much less severe. than. You are a neuro-oncologist, and uh, so you work with children who have brain tumors and spinal cord tumors. And you guys have developed a neuro-oncology fellowship, which means that you'll be training future neuro-oncologists, pediatric neuro-oncologists. Tell us how important that is to have a fellowship uh, training program here. Absolutely. Um, leukemia used to be the most common cancer in children. The tumor registry studies, you know, brain tumor is now the most common cause of cancer, and it's about one-third of all cancer patients in children. Also, it is the number one leading cause of death among cancer patients. Mm. In addition to that, the patients who have brain tumors, they have unique challenges, you know. So one of the challenges is the effects that they have just from having a tumor in the brain, mm-hmm. and then also the long-term effects that they have from treatment, for example, uh, effect of radiation therapy uh, on the developing brain, uh, effect of high-dose chemotherapy on developing brain, and so on. For most medium-sized pediatric oncology program, um, it helps to have physicians uh, with subspecialty training in uh, neuro-oncology. So I think there's definitely a huge need to train pediatric neuro-oncologists in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, currently there are about 15 or 16 programs in the country that train a, uh, one uh, neuro-oncologist every year. So then the reason is because not every hospital has all the resources to be able to train the next generation of you know, neuro-oncologists. Uh, what I mean by that is to have trained neuro-oncologists in the program, trained neuro- pediatric neurosurgeons, neuroradiologists, neuropathologists, uh, wow. and radiation oncologists with specialty in pediatric brain tumors. We are blessed to have all the components uh, of that uh, between Children's of Alabama and UAB. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're blessed to have a position here so that we can train pediatric neuro-oncologists. Absolutely. And then when you're talking about training, you've also been working on some global outreach and training uh, physicians from other parts of the world. And you recently had a trainee from Vietnam here. Is that correct? We did, yeah. So I, I went to Vietnam last year and saw firsthand the resources that they had. And first thing that really stood out was that uh, they really don't have uh, pediatric oncology trained physicians uh, mm. in their program. So as they finish their residency in pediatrics, they just get a job at the cancer hospital and then they just learn on the go. Uh, you know, it's like more like on the job training. Mm-hmm. They don't have any formal training. So we um, have uh, around one to two people who come now from Vietnam Cancer Hospital here in Hanoi. Uh, to Children's Hospital here so that they get to see how we do things, how we treat patients, what kind of treatment protocols, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, we use. So we had one physician who came last year. And uh, so for now, because of the COVID and because of the restrictions with travel, that program is on hold, but we're still in communication uh, with them by emails. If they have any questions that we can help with in terms of treatment protocols, you know, that's ongoing. Thank goodness for technology and being able to see and talk to people, you know, several years ago, it would have been much harder to have that communication. Who knew Zoom would be so easy? (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. We never, uh, so yeah, it's been been great. And then uh, the Cairo Cancer Hospital in Egypt, 
you've formed a relationship with them. So tell us about that. That's been uh, very interesting. And I was just in Egypt just before the pandemic hit in January this year. And uh, I was really blown away by what I saw at that hospital. So they have um, the patient numbers is phenomenal. So if we see here around, you know, 200 uh, cancer patients, uh, they see like 4,000. So it's, it's a huge number of patients that one hospital sees. And they have done a phenomenal job in collecting data on those patients, collecting tumor samples. So there's a phenomenal uh, opportunities for research uh, and so on. Collaboration um, with them. Collaboration with them. And mm-hmm. they are interested in having clinical trials available for their patients. So they are extremely interested. So we are in the process right now of getting what you call a MOU or a Memorandum of Understanding okay. with that hospital. So once all the legal formalities are done, then we hope to formalize our relationship. But in the meantime, we have ongoing, again, Zoom conference calls mm-hmm. once a month, uh, and we talk about uh, how, you know, once uh, this whole thing is settled and how, um, what kind of collaborations that we want to participate in and so on. Okay. And uh, that leads directly into our next topic, which is consortiums and Really, the importance of being a part, you know, in the in the pediatric hematology oncology world, UAB and, and Children's are members of several different consortiums, which really helps <clears throat> to be able to elevate the program, but then also helps patients, right? Because then they have more access to different clinical trials, different drugs and therapies. Absolutely. I think, you know, pediatric cancer is such a rare disease that it's not possible for any pediatric or children's hospital to do clinical trials on their own. That's the reason why we need groups of hospitals to work together in order to conduct clinical trials. Because in order to prove or disapprove a point, you know, the Mm -hmm. strength is in the numbers. You know, for the statistical analyses, you need more number of patients. So each group of these hospitals that comes together to do these clinical trials is basically that's what we call a consortium right so we're currently members of i believe five national consortiums children's oncology group is the largest consortium that we are a part of and that is mainly responsible for conducting late phase or phase three clinical trials you know uh, in children but then we're also member of one consortium called as pep ctn or pediatric early phase clinical trials network Okay. Now, this is an NIH-funded consortium, just like uh, Children's Oncology Group or COG, but the mandate of this group is to conduct uh, early-phase clinical trials or cutting-edge clinical trials with mm-hmm. new treatment, new drugs, new different types of therapies mm-hmm. in children who do not have otherwise, you know, upfront treatment options. Okay. So this consortium has about 20 institutions, and uh, we're one of the 20 institutions who have access to these drugs. The another one is what we call the Sunshine Project, uh, and that's the consortium with the National Pediatric Cancer Foundation. This consortium, again, has about... 20 member institutions. And what this consortium does is, uh, again, just like PEP-CTN, runs early phase clinical trials, but they are mainly focused on bone and soft tissue tumors. So we have a significant number of trials uh, just for these kind of tumors, Mm -hmm. mostly sarcomas. But we're also members of what we call the uh, NF Clinical Trials Consortium or the Mm -hmm. Neurofibromatosis Clinical Trials Consortium. This consortium was, again, formed uh, with funding from 
the Department of Defense. And now the difference here is that this consortium conducts clinical trials, again, early phase clinical trials with new therapies and new drugs, but mostly in patients who have neurofibromatosis. Okay. That's a genetic condition, you know, that they can have different types of cancers, patients with this condition. Um, and lastly, we're also a member of what we call the NEXT consortium. Now, UAB is the co-lead institution uh, for this consortium for the main clinical trial, which is the Head Start 4 clinical trial, uh, of which I serve as a co-principal investigator of this study. And now uh, this trial is open at more than 50 institutions across North America, Australia, and New Zealand, and so on. So that's a worldwide that consortium. It is, it is. So for the most part, I think we have good treatment options for patients who are newly diagnosed with cancer. Um, but when it comes to, unfortunately, patients uh, where the cancer comes back, they're the treatment often very limited. And they are mainly limited to clinical trials uh, with these new uh, agents or new drugs that have shown promise in preclinical testing in the lab. Mm -hmm. And uh, so being a member of this consortia allows us to be able to offer these cutting edge treatments to our patients. And, and that's really very important part of our mission. Right. Uh, and also, something that helps us, you know, um, on a personal level, keep going mm -hmm. and be inspired and, you know, inspires us to keep trying new things and Absolutely. to make it make the survival ship better. I would think during, especially during a pandemic such as this as well, it's, it's much better on the patient families because they can become a part of a clinical trial like this right here in their backyard in the state of Alabama rather than having to travel to another state to receive care, which right now, you know, they're very vulnerable. Absolutely. And not just from our state, but uh, hopefully also from neighboring states where you don't have to fly in, but you could just, you know, drive, mm -hmm. uh, drive down. And uh, so it is absolutely very critical. You talked about being a principal investigator for uh, one of these new therapies, and, and you are a senior scientist at the O'Neill Comprehensive Cancer Center as well. Um, what inspired you to choose neuro-oncology to go into this field and help children with with brain and spinal cord tumors? Yeah, there's, you know, all each one of us is mm -hmm. uh, driven by different things, um, mm -hmm. you know, that why we choose to do what we do. But for me, it was, it was not very complicated. It was mainly two things. Uh, one is when I was training and doing my fellowship in pediatric oncology, I found brain tumors uh, very challenging. Mm -hmm. And particularly my peers, you know, they not many people were interested in doing this primarily. So I think that made, made it even more exciting for me to, you know, the, the challenges, you know, with this uh, tumor type. And the second uh, was um, working with my mentor, uh, Dr. Jonathan Finley, who actually just retired this past week. And he was the director of our program at NYU. And he was a larger, he is a larger than life figure and and absolutely extremely passionate about uh, what he does, which is treating uh, children with brain tumors and actually hoping and aiming for a better cure. Mm -hmm. And I think so that's that what really inspired me to mm -hmm. um, to go into neuro-oncology. And like you said, there are not many of you in this in the not country. Not too many, yes. Yeah, that is true. So, so it is that wonderful is that you're here and that uh, you're leading the charge and also that you're gonna be training new fellows in this field. Yes, absolutely. 
tell us about any other advances or news within the division that you'd like to share, some things that you might be proud of? The most exciting thing, at least for me uh, Mm -hmm. or for our division, was that uh, this year we were, or last year, uh, we were able to improve our U.S. News and World Report ranking Mm -hmm. from 41 in the past to about 27. And this is from about 200 institutions that were ranked. That's great. Um, And uh, so that, again, that's not my... uh, uh, accomplishment, but that says a lot about the dedication uh, of the people within our division, because I think this just reflects in everybody's work ethic and the quality of the work that uh, we do mm-hmm. uh, at Children's of Alabama. So I think that was very good. At a personal level, you know, I was able to publish two very important papers, one of which showed that the patients who had um, germ cell tumors of the brain Uh, We were able to cure about 90% of them with uh, less radiation therapy than what had been practiced before Mm -hmm. that clinical trial. And the second of my papers was on the Head Start 3 clinical trial. So currently we have Head Start 4 open, but I was able to publish the results from that study where we showed that uh, we were able to cure around 90% of infants and young children with a mm-hmm. particular malignant brain tumor mm-hmm. called desmoplastic medulloblastoma without any radiation therapy. So yeah. so that was that was very That uh, is exciting. Nice. Yeah, that was exciting. <laughs> How long does it typically take or is there no typical time between the time of a clinical trial and when you publish those results that data and then when it becomes part of the normal therapy? Uh, for patients? So I think once the clinical trial results are published, uh, most people would agree that, you know, at that point, uh, that becomes like a standard of care for that patient population. So uh, I think these are one of the best results that have been published so far in this population. And so what we are thinking is the next step is to build on this experience and uh, have a joint clinical trial with the European group, with all the European countries. Um, and uh, I will lead the trial from the North American side. And uh, we'll have one um, lead physician from the Europe side. And then uh, again, I think, as I said, the strength of the data lies in numbers, so hopefully mm-hmm. uh, we can still be able to replicate at a much larger scale. Wonderful. Anything else that you want to add? Other uh, things, and I really want to acknowledge, three of our uh, faculty received NIH funding last year, mm-hmm. uh, and that speaks a lot about the quality of the work that they do. Uh, Dr. Greg Friedman, he received an uh, R01 for his work on modified herpes virus mm-hmm. uh, vaccine for brain tumor patients. Dr. Liebensberger, he received his R01 for identifying kidney disease early in patients with sickle cell disease. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Judy Wolfson for her work on leukemia in uh, adolescents and young adults. So it's really exciting to work with, you know, a lot of accomplished people in the division, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been a great journey so far. Yeah, and lots of research and lots of therapies and things are, are coming out of this institution. Uh, regardless of what's going on outside uh, with the pandemic, there's definitely a lot going on behind the scenes to help these children with pediatric cancer and uh, blood disorders. That absolutely is true. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dahl, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. For more information, you can go to our website, www.childrensal.org cancer, and we will post links to those consortiums Dr. Dahl talked about and what types of clinical trials are available in the show notes. 
Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics. More podcasts like this one can be found at childrensal.org forward slash inside pediatrics.